This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, I Am the Light of the World, and it comes from John 8, 12 through 30. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and town rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there, they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Spotify or Amazon or Google or iTunes. We're there too. Just search for WMR Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Today, we pick back up in our series on the I Am's, the I Am statements. I titled the series, Who Does Jesus Think He Is? Today, we're going to look at the second I Am in the book of John. There are seven I Am's in the book of John, and we're going to look at all seven of them. But today, we look at the second one where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Last week, we talked about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Each of these I am statements, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, helps us to understand his nature and who he is, who God is, who Jesus is. But I want you to understand that each of these statements start out with the emphatic Greek phrase, ego eimi, which means I am. This is the same translation that you'll see all the way back in Exodus chapter 3, where God told Moses when he asked, who should I tell him sent me? He said, I am. He said, Ego Amy. Well, let me give you a little background before we just jump right into this. Right here in John 8, Jesus is teaching in the temple. Most commentators think that he was in the eastern part of the temple, right there at the court of the women. And that makes sense seeing the Pharisees has brought in a woman that was caught in the act of adultery and said, Jesus, what do you say? The law of Moses says we're to stone her. But Jesus just stoops down and starts writing in the sand. Bible tells us that he stands up and he says, Whoever is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And the Bible tells us that from the oldest to the youngest, they slowly one by one drop their stones. And then Jesus asked her, Where are your accusers? And she said, They've all left. And Jesus says, Well, I don't condemn you or accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Now, Jesus wasn't being weak on sin. He was just showing God's grace. Here's this woman who's been walking in sin. She's been walking in darkness. Her deeds have been brought into the light. But the light of man is still darkness. The Pharisees' heart were still darkness. We'll see that in just a minute as we look through this. But when the true light of the world shone on it, it led from death, and that's what the law said, to life. 
Jesus was that true light that shined on this woman and took her from death to life. Before I start a sermon right here on these first few verses, let me jump right into our text. So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 8. We'll start in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears the witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me also. And they said to him, Where is your Father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? And he said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I will always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed him. So the first thing we see right here in verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Just as the Israelites had followed by the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night into the promised land, Jesus calls us to follow him. He is the light. He wants to lead us from the death of sin to the light of a new life. By following the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, they were led back into life. Remember, they were slaves. They had nothing but death. And it was this light that kept them safe. It was this light that led them to the promised land. And it is a light of Jesus that will lead us to our promised land. It is us believing in him as the light. And Jesus tells the crowd that, when you follow me, you will no longer walk in darkness, like this woman was walking, but now she's not. But when we follow him, just as the Israelites follow God, we have the light of life. In Psalms 119.105, the Bible tells us that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. By following Jesus and following after his words and his commandments, he will lead us. He will be our light on our path. Following Jesus and his commandments gives us the assurance of avoiding the perils and the pitfalls of life, the darkness that is out there. We have a promise of life and light if we will just follow it. 
I think you all would agree with me that this light is important based on what we've just discussed. But John also thought it was important. Matter of fact, more than any other apostle, he uses and describes Jesus as the light. And a matter of fact, John uses the word light to describe Jesus 24 times in his gospel. And if you look back at John 1, verse 4 and 5, he says, in verse 4, he's describing Jesus. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He continues in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now that John is John the Baptist, not the writer. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Again, here he's saying that John the Baptist came to be a witness of the light. And then in verse 9, he says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. So of all the gospel writers, John likes to describe the nature of God and Jesus as light. And we see that right here in chapter 1, how he talks about the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not been overcome. And then John the Baptist came to bear witness to the light, and then there is the true light. That Jesus came into this world, and most folks didn't understand him. They didn't know him, but yet he was the true light. If you go to John chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he talks about being the light. John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so right here in verse 12, we see that Jesus tells the people in the temple that he is the light of the world. Why would Jesus describe himself as light? Well, one of the reasons is that light is self-evidence. You don't shine light on light. It is self-evident. You don't have to do anything to expose light, just observe light. And Jesus says, I am the true light. I am the light of the world. The second reason why light is a great description of Jesus is because light exposes everything around it. And the fact is just this. Until you know Jesus, you don't know what is going on around you. You're not aware of it. And a matter of fact, in Ephesians 2, the Bible tells us that we were dead. We walked around in the darkness. We were unaware of our trespasses and our sins. We followed the course of the world, the prince of power of the air, which is the devil. We were sons of disobedience. We're among those that lived in the passion of our flesh. We carried out the desires of our bodies and our mind. We were a wrath against God. But I love verse 4 in Ephesians 2 where he says, But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he had, he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were walking in darkness, when we were against him, he loved us. And he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Isn't that so rich? But Jesus describes himself as being the light of the world because when he comes into our life, we're no longer walking around in darkness. We start to see the things. We become different. We look at life differently because the change that has come in and the exposure that light brings to us. 
And as Jesus continues to shine his light in your heart, you start to see those things exposed that you need to confess and to change. Some of the things that we didn't care about, now we care about because Jesus has illuminated that. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world because he is self-evident and he illuminates. And so he goes on to say that those who do not follow me walk in darkness. The Pharisees challenge him in verse 13, and they say, all we have is your word on this. We need more than this to go on. And so Jesus tells them, you're right. You only have my word, but you can depend on it because it's true. I know where I come from and where I'm going. You don't know where I'm from and where I'm headed. You decide according to what you can see and what you can touch. I don't make judgments like that. But even if I did, my judgment would be true because I wouldn't make it out of the narrowness of my experience, but in the largeness of the one who sent me, the Father. And so in verse 19, they challenge him again and they say, well, then who is your father? And Jesus says, you don't know my father. You're looking right at me and you don't see him. So how do you expect to see the father if you don't know me? He goes on to say, if you knew me, you would know the father. And then look at verse 20, because I want to point something out real quick. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not come. Jesus was on this divine timeline. And so you see throughout the Gospels that Jesus slipped by because they couldn't get him. No one could get him until it was his assigned time. It shows the sovereignty of God. Even though there were several times they wanted to stone him or kill him, He was able to slip out of their hands, is what the Bible describes. Jesus ultimately comes to be the ultimate sacrifice. He's on this divine plan from God, and he's on a divine timeline. So nothing's going to happen prematurely because of God's sovereignty. But now look what he says in verse 21 to him again. He says that, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And he's telling them that you can't come to heaven where I'm about to go back because you, you're going to die in your sin. You don't know me. We talked about this last week. The gospel points to that everyone has a problem. Everyone has a sin problem. If there's a bad part of the gospel, it is that the gospel tells us that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus is telling them, and we need to understand that everyone needs salvation because all people have sinned. No one gets a free ride because every person, no matter how good you are, no matter if you're a Pharisee, no matter if you're rich, no matter if you're educated, no matter if you're black or white or yellow, whatever, everyone has a sin problem and no one gets a free ride because we have all fallen short of the mark of God. And because we have a sin problem, The Bible also tells us that the price of sin is death. The punishment we all deserve is both physical and spiritual death. When Adam and Eve bit of that apple, they brought the sin nature into the human race. And we all had that sin nature, and because of it, we face spiritual death. That's why I told you we walk around, as it said in Ephesians 2, as the spiritually dead. We are the walking dead until the light of the world illuminates on us. But here's the good news of the gospel. God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross while we were yet sinners. Even before we realized it, before he illuminated, he came and made a way to stand just before a holy God. 
And you might ask, Tim, how do I do that? Well, the Bible's clear on that as well. It says, if we'll confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For it is by believing in our heart that we are made right with God, and it is by confessing with our mouth that we are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what the Bible promises us. You may have heard this before, but it's as simple as the ABC. First, we have to admit that we're a sinner. And then we have to believe with our heart and that Jesus came and he died on the cross and that he overcame death. And then we have to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we have to turn from our wicked ways. And that is how we become saved. ABC. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying right here in verse 21. That I'm going away and you will seek me, but you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you can't come because you haven't done the ABC. You hadn't admit that you're a sinner. You hadn't believed and you hadn't confessed. Now look at verse 22. He says, so the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. See, they still don't get it. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He says to them that you are from below. I'm from above. You are this world and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am. And that's what it says in the Greek, I am. Now that word he right there in the ESV is added so that it is a Western thing, so it makes sense to us. It should read for, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That we want the he there, so I am what? I am he. See, right there in verse 24 is where Jesus truly claims to be God. There are people that will ask you, where did Jesus say that he was God? Why didn't he just make it clear and say, I am God? Well, he did. Now, he used Eastern language. He said, I am, the same statement that God used to Moses. Ego Amy, he says it right here in verse 24. Go look it up. If you have an NIV version, though, right here in verse 24, where I said he, it is in uh, italics or it is in brackets. And that is because it's trying to tell you that that is a added part. In the Septuagint, when they converted it from Hebrew to Greek, they added that in there. If you go back in the Septuagint and look at Exodus 3, it is also Ego Amy. So it is Jesus standing right here telling them that I am. The same thing that God told Moses right there at the burning bush. This verse and other verses, like last week when he said, I am the bread of life, was the same ego amy. But this is Jesus declaring his divinity. Again, this isn't the only place. Jump down to verse 28 real quick. See what he says there? So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, so he's being prophetic right here, talking about going to the cross. He's telling them that you're going to take me to the cross. My purpose is to come and die on the cross. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Again, that he right there has been added. That is the ego amy. There's one more verse I want to read where he's showing his divinity again. That's in verse 58. But I'm going to start at verse 54 because I want you to hear the context of what Jesus is saying to them. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him. And I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He said it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and how have you seen Abraham? 
And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, and this is what I want you to catch, before Abraham was, I am. There again, the ego Amy. That is Jesus saying his true divinity, saying, I am God. And if he wasn't saying that, if that wasn't the meaning, then why in verse 59 are they picking up stones to throw at him because they say that he is blaspheming God? They, they pick up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So if anyone ever challenged you on Jesus saying who he was and where did he say he was God, each of these I am's that we study is Jesus declaring his unique divine identity and his purpose. One of his purpose was the bread of life and that we have to eat of that bread and he provides us the nourishment that we need. He is our daily bread. And then today we see that he claims that he is the exclusive source of spiritual life. No other source of spiritual truth is available except by him. When we walk into a room that is dark, what do we do? We cut on some source of light, whether it's a light switch or whether it's a candle that we light, and we do that to dispel the darkness. And Jesus does that for us. He is the light and the darkness. He lights up our hearts so that we can find the areas that need to be pruned, the areas that need to be worked on, the areas that we need to lay at his feet. If we're not willing to allow him to be the light of our life, to be the truth of our life, then we will never have eternal life. Science teaches us that physical light is necessary for physical life. If the earth all of a sudden had no light, if there were no longer any sunlight, then the plants and vegetation on this earth would die. Think about it where you have a tree in your yard. There's a spot on my front yard with a big oak tree. And when the summertime comes and the leaves are there and the light can't get through, there's very little grass. Everything under the canopy of that tree dies because of the darkness. The light does not penetrate and get to it. Science has shown us that plants will move towards light. They need light for the photosynthesis that they do. They are drawn to light. In the same way, we should be drawn to light. We should be moving towards light. The problem is, until we allow God to shine his light on us, then we are walking around in darkness and we're not aware of the light. As a matter of fact, as I read in John 3, because of light and it exposes evil, man hates light because we walk around in that light. But the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit comes and knocks on our heart. In John 10, that he invites us, that we have an invitation like going to a party. And if we accept him, that light comes into us. And we have the spiritual light of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus told us in John 8, 12, you go all the way back to the verse 12, because that's our key verse today. He says that if we are a follower of him, if we are a follower of the light, then we will never walk in darkness. What he's saying there is we have the assurance of salvation. If we will follow him, we won't walk in darkness. But I want you to understand the key phrase there. We have to follow him. We can't do it our way just because we said some prayer. We have to follow his commands. We have to follow after him. And that is the assurance of our salvation, even if we stumble here or there. A true believer won't follow after sin. It won't follow after the darkness. It'll follow after light. So because of that, we should be able to examine ourselves and determine, are we in the light? Do we have the light in us or do we openly go after sin? 
And the last thing I'll say as wrapping up is that not only did Jesus come to be the light of the world, but in Matthew, he commands us to be the light, a light to the world. Look at Matthew 5, 14 through 16 with me real quick. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What Jesus is saying here is that we are to be like a light to the world. We are to be the lighthouse. We're to reflect. You know, the moon at night is can be so beautiful and bright on a clear night. You can see the moon. The moon has no light. It's reflecting the light off the sun that we see that. And that's what Jesus is saying here is that we are to let our light shine. We are to reflect him to others. We shouldn't put it under a basket. We shouldn't hide it like we used to sing in kids' church. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. He's saying here that don't put it under a basket, but let your light shine. Let it shine and give light to the whole house. He says that in that same way, we need to shine before others. That our good works give glory to who the Father, not to us. See, if it gives glory to us, then we've already got our credit. But our good works should point to the Father who's in heaven. Jesus has challenged us to say, let your light be evident to others. Let it be evident by your good deeds that you do in faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit and point to the Father. Give the Father credit. Don't worry about whether you get credit. See, how do we do that? Well, we need to be a credible and obvious witness in the world, a witness that shows to be faithful, God-honoring, trustworthy, sincere, earnest, and honest in all that we do. We should always be ready to give an account of the hope that we have. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet you do it with gentleness and respect. What Peter is saying, be quick when people say you're different. I noticed that you're different. How are you different? Be ready to tell them. That's how we witness to others. The gospel light is not to be covered up, but it's to be made obvious for others to see and to benefit from and to help lead them to the light. We can be ambassadors for Christ. We can be his hands and feet by shining our light, just like the moon that reflects the light of the sun. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today. Lord, we thank you for this time together. and Lord, we thank you for this lesson. Lord, I pray today that people will understand, one, your divinity that you did come and you did say that I am God. I am. We've studied two places right here where you claim to be God. Lord, I pray today if there's any that is listening that doesn't know you, Lord, that they would understand that you are God and they would understand the ABCs, that they have to admit they have a sin problem, that the Bible tells us that, and then they have to believe with their heart that you did come and you died on the cross for their sins and you overcame death. And then they need to confess you as Lord with their mouth. The ABCs. Lord, I pray for the one that showed up today and maybe they've been struggling in their walk. Maybe lately they haven't allowed you to be Lord of all. They wouldn't be found faithful. They wouldn't be found God-honoring in the way they've walked lately. They wouldn't be found trustworthy or sincere. 
But Lord, they're being honest with you now. Lord, I pray that you would show your grace just like you did toward this woman that they brought before Jesus. You would tell them, go and sin no more. Lord, we thank you for all that you do. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and the blessings you give this ministry. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.